Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have the privilege tonight after... I still have jet lag, and you probably can tell. I, I feel really spacey, and that's what uh, airplanes will do to you. So graciously and providentially, the Lord brought a good friend who's been... Uh, He may not recognize this, but a mentor to me just as I've watched his life over the years. He's the chaplain for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's been a pastor for many years and a real statesman for the kingdom. Dr. Ross Rhodes is going to preach tonight. Would you please welcome Ross? Well, one-on-one... Uh, your pastor says, I really miss the people. He just said that. And uh, what an absolute delight. In a day when everything is eroding confidence in the government and even in the Pope, isn't it wonderful to have a pastor, a real pastor, who is an exceptionally gifted Bible teacher and about whom you'd never have to apologize and... Uh, such a beautiful wife who's been through the valley, and uh, now he's going to be a grandfather. I can't wait until I can call him granddad. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I, would, I would tell you what Franklin Graham says. I'll tell you anyway, but I won't mention the other names. Franklin says, if I ever have any problem, he said, other than you, Ross, because I'm chaplain, He said, I would not call, and then he listed four or five very prominent, a couple of them are Calvary Chapel people, very prominent men. He said, I'd call Skip Heitzig. Now, he's a real pastor. That's what Franklin says. It worked out providentially because uh, uh, my brother-in-law, Dr. Robert Dugan, uh, died, and uh, so... uh, The service was held here today, so uh, they could coordinate, or God did, my visit to uh, speak at the funeral today. And even though Skip, speaking about him being a pastor, even though he had just come back, he and Lenya came to the funeral service today. He thought he was just going to sit here. Uh, He ended up hosting the service, and it went an hour and a half. Can you imagine that? So when he says he's spacey, I thought he was going to say, I'm spacey, and that's why I have Ross Rhodes, because he couldn't get anybody else. But it just so happened that I was here this weekend, and I'm grateful. Let's give the Lord praise for your pastor and his wife, the First Lady of this church, and all the staff that makes this congregation a happy and a holy body of Christ. Let's praise the Lord. I'd like you to turn to a very familiar verse in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament. Just look for it. It'll take you five minutes, but I'll, I'll still be up here. I uh, was here, total surprise, a couple of weeks ago and sat way in the back, my wife and I, and heard Pastor speak on the Gospel of John. 
And he made some comment about if you don't have a Bible, turn to whatever. But this book, I would imagine you would not know a single verse in this book, uh, with the exception of the verse I would like to teach tonight. It's in Lamentations and chapter 3 and verse 21, 22, 23, and 24. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I pray that I, uh, as a guest and humbled by that, that my teaching through your Holy Spirit will help us to hear things that were a surprise to our hearts and things that will help us to grow in grace and be passionate about your word and about the loss that we must try to reach before the end comes. We pray in Jesus' name, and all the Lord's people said amen. Amen. This book is the personal diary, the journal, of a man by the name of Jeremiah. He was an unusual man because they didn't tolerate him in any way. It's like being totally ignored. Everybody else got a raise, and uh, they didn't even know you worked for the company. It is a book written by a man who suffered seriously decades in prison. Isaiah was the up-and-out, classy prophet in the north, but Jeremiah was neglected. He handled it very well, and this book is about his crying, about his sadness, about what he was experiencing. Lamentations is a book you feel. All teaching should make you think, make you feel, and then do something. And maybe at the end of our service tonight, in about 25 minutes, you'll want to do something. I hope you will. Maybe you'd like to come forward and stand with me. Maybe you're the story of the first verses of chapter 3. Jeremiah feels the sorrow of the people of God. Maybe you don't know it, but around the world tonight there are people who are sorrowing. People who think that the rapture and the evacuation of the church has already taken place. People who in Haiti, I was just there, we had uh, Samaritan's Purse doctors, about uh, 60 of them amputated hundreds of legs. But uh, if you were in the street and you didn't have anywhere to go, your home was collapsed. 80% of the city was just, you know, a heap of rubble with steel bar coming out of the top. You'd have your leg cut off and it would be bandaged. You'd be given a little medicine, but you had to sit there. There was no place to go. And so if you ever thought of the end time and the church raptured or evacuated, the word I like to use, you saw it in Haiti. No hope, no help, no forward-looking, no government. No building even for the government to meet. And 95% of everything that Haiti uses and eats comes from outside the country. This is Haiti. Hard to envision. There are people who are saying tonight, where is God? And why isn't God answering my prayers? And what is God doing? Hard to answer those questions. I tried to hundreds of people explain that. There really is no answer at this point. God is not on vacation. He's not not listening. You don't get a dial tone. He'll pick up the call. 
But there are places in the world tonight where they feel like chapter 3, a couple of verses. Let me highlight six things that are part of the feeling of many people. And there are people in this room tonight who feel this way. Look at chapter 3, please, in Lamentations. Uh, Verse 1, he feels that God has uh, hit him, smote him. Affliction. Affliction is something you don't deserve. There are two kinds of sicknesses or sadnesses in life. One, you call yourself. You do something excessively. You know you shouldn't do it, but whatever, and you can fill in the blanks. Or you run a stoplight, or you drive too fast, or whatever. Or you didn't take your medicine. You do it to yourself. And then there are things that happen to you that you didn't cause. Something that just came, like the people in Haiti. Or some rotten government around the world. They watch American television, and there's nothing ever they have to compare to where they live. Pastors just in Bethany. Bethany is a terribly sad little village. And he feels that God's hit him. And he doesn't know why. He does later on figure it out, but he feels, you know, I'm just about ready to give up. Is there anybody who feels that way tonight? You think that what happened to you, God did? That God has you in his crosshairs? That There's something you did 20 years ago or 15 years ago that lingers and you close your eyes at night and maybe the tears fall on your pillow and you say, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. If I could make it up now. And you just feel this gross feeling. Usually it's down in the bottom of your chest. You can't get away from it. And because it's not springtime in your heart, you feel God has punished you and you're just going to sit there and sit it out. This is the way he feels. And then secondly, if you'll notice uh, in verse 2, surely you're against me personally. He's taking it personally. It's not only the judgment of Israel, but it's the judgment of his own life. They won't listen to me. My word doesn't get through. I'm beginning to assimilate the feelings and the needs of the people in my heart. Skip does that. A lot of pastors don't do that. And that's not a criticism. It's a fact. They just get up and teach. And if it flies, fine. But a real pastor says, I miss the people. He stood back there and said, boy, is it good to be back. It's just as if, you know, it was brand new that this was his life and his life was this church. Jeremiah is feeling it personally. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I didn't preach hard enough. And boy, did he preach. Just read the book of Jeremiah. Don't ever take anything in your life personally from God. Does he judge? Does he chase? And yes, but he doesn't do it out of spite. And he doesn't just wish, now you're just going to sit there. I'm not going to call you, and if you call, forget about it. And if you can notice that, there it is in the text. He says, my prayers, verse 8, I shout, and God doesn't hear. I mumble, and God doesn't hear. There are thousands and thousands. I would say, just as a seasoned pastor, as a servant of the Lord, that 80 to 90% of the people that know the gospel, like we're talking about it tonight, don't pray on a regular basis. If things are going sour in our country, and less than 20% of the people in this country trust the Congress and the Senate, and, and if 
this thing is going down and our currency is worthless. The new $100 bill looks more like the euro than it does our $100 bill. And now our currency is being packaged and bundled with other nations. China says now shouldn't be the dollar standard. There ought to be a dozen nations. We all ought to get together and kind of flip cards and make one world currency. It's in print, not from prophecy or skip. It's coming very, very soon with no retardation in every attempt to persecute the Jew and the Christian. We pray and nothing happens. We prayed 9-11 like great balloons at a party. The prayers went to heaven. Now there are no balloon prayers going up. People are not praying. It's not a criticism. Why don't we pray more? Mr. Graham says in his 91st year, my one regret is I didn't pray enough. Not that most prayer produces most attention from God, but that it shows where our heart is, where our dependency is. If we don't pray, we're really saying, I'm going to do very well, thank you, or that's not big of a problem to bring to God. And then the big ones come, boy, you want a prayer letter out. You and I want everybody praying for us. It's all over the Internet. He's praying and nothing's happening. Look at the fourth thing. He says he's hedged about, verse 7. He got no, no wiggle room. He's stuck. He's like in a narrow passage. The hotel, I would imagine, where they stayed, or one down by the Sea of Galilee, which, of course, is a lake, is a wonderful hotel. It used to be the Sheridan. It's got the smallest elevator. And if you come in with 150 people at Tiberius, you can barely get two on with their bags, and you have to carry your own bags Smallest little elevator. I don't know why I thought about that. Probably because he just came back from Israel and I remember that elevator. But this is the meaning of this text. Thank you. Don't get in. No more room. He's hedged about. Can't move. Feels he's trapped. Do you feel that way? Do you feel your prayers are just thuds? I mean, you start to pray and you know it isn't feeling right. And, and you would not think for a moment that God would any war want to listen to you since you don't call too frequently. You feel kind of trapped. Maybe you're in a relationship tonight. Fifty percent of the evangelical uh, church people are not being faithful to their wives. That's the number. And Skip preached about it the other Sunday when I was here. He just dropped it in. But 41% of all women who have a child do not have a husband. Something's wrong. That we're not affected by the common sense information that we have. The children need a father and a mother. They need the tender care of the birthing parents. How sad. Think of tonight in the great cities like New York or Chicago, Los Angeles, Mexico City, 24 million people, Bombay, China, Hong Kong. I've been there. Think of when commerce stops and the night comes, how many children are being abused and neglected? The sadness of our world. And you may feel tonight hedged in, in a box. One more, I'll eliminate two more here. Verse 15, there's bitterness. 
Why do you become bitter? Well, because something happened and you can't figure it out, or somebody treated you poorly, or... Most bitterness comes, natural bitterness, when you're hungry or tired or frustrated. That's where bitterness comes from. But when bitterness is the result of experiences where something doesn't work or something you planned on doesn't work, something you have anticipated with great hope and it fizzles or disappointment that really rips you up or betrayal. Oh, my, all of us have been betrayed When that happens and when it lingers, you feel bitter. You can't swallow it and you will not forgive. You can't because you're caught up with yourself and you you think it's not worth it and it's over. And this is what he's going through. Now that's the unhappy part. Let's read the sequel. Would you begin looking at verse 20? My soul then was still remembering and thinking about all this, and I was humbled. This I finally recalled to my mind. I finally remember what I should have remembered. Number one, that I have hope. There is no word hope in the Hebrew language, and there's nowhere in the New Testament Greek a word for hope. The word is confidence, because anything you hope in is eventually not reliable. Anything. The weather, your health, your friends, your marriage, your children, your money, your investments, your car, anything in this world apart from God is eventually kaput. And the Bible says, hope thou in God. It's better. The middle verse in the Bible is Psalm 118.8 and it's this verse. It is better to put your trust in God than in men. The next verse says, It is not wise or good to put your hope in rulers, but only in the Lord. The hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I wouldn't trust the sweetest poem frame. I only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you're a believer, you believe that. Say amen. Come on, that's great. The songwriter knew it by experience. He says, then I looked at the Lord's mercies. You see it there? I realized that they're not consumed. I looked at his love. It doesn't fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. He's praying at this point. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I have confidence in Him? Maybe you're here tonight and you lost confidence. Everybody does. Our daughter was in uh, uh, New York City and she wanted to come to her uncle's service. And her husband has a lot of miles and she was first class. And, but they get down toward Dallas because you have to go somewhere to get to Albuquerque. Did you know that? took us 12 hours to get here yesterday. So I landed in Dallas, stayed overnight. They wouldn't give her a suitcase. Uh, slept in her clothes, got up this morning. and Everything is not sure. But then I remembered. Memory is something that keeps coming back. 
like uh, too much of the wrong food. They're selling all this gas acts now. And I wouldn't want to go to a store and see the girl looking at me when I say, do you have any Beano? <laughs> Memory is the repeated idea of something. I remembered. What did he remember? Moses in the burning bush, standing at the Red Sea. Do you remember all the battles of Joshua? Did you remember the great failure of David and the great golden reign of Solomon? Did you remember Daniel at 82, half a dozen years older than I am, in the lion's den? Did he remember all the time he felt it was hopeless and God wouldn't answer and he was in that pit, probably with a snake or two? He remembered that God was always faithful to the Hebrew princes in the fiery furnace. If you burn us and if we die, so we die. But we will not bow down and worship. Hallelujah, that's true worship. You can kill me and I'll take a bullet but I will not renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that His mercies cannot be consumed. And that word means not burned up, but it means they cannot be destroyed. They never can be disintegrated. There's no way to annihilate it. There's no way to put it away. There's no way to bring it beyond our memory. That the mercy of God is always there. And he says, secondly, look at it. His compassions don't fail. We have some very, very wealthy people in Charlotte that we happen to have their affection. And I feel always bad as a minister when somebody else buys me something. I really have been like that. And of course, by buying for everybody else, I'm poorer than I, than I should be. But nevertheless, I, I always feel that ministers ought to carry their way. They make a good salary, then split the bill. On the East Coast, we have a lot of Dutch people. And Dutch people say, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. So when you go out to people like that, I'm Irish and English and German and whatever, uh, you know you're going to split the bill. But we thought with these people had been so kind to us, we would pay. And Carol had a coupon, very special coupon, at this restaurant where the entrees were 25 35 Head of lettuce was $9.00. You know, that is ridiculous. But we thought these people, you know, they're nice people. We love them. I married their children and all that kind of thing. We'd do something for them. So we got this coupon. We told them we were going there. Oh, we felt so important walking in there. We weren't going to pay full price, two for one, right? So Carol pulls out the coupon, hands it to me. She says, give this now with the American Express. You know, when you're married 53 years, you smile and grin and do what she says. So I put it with my Platinum American Express, not because I'm wealthy, but because I've had it since 1952. (laughs) The number is in Roman numerals. It's a very old card. (laughs) And the waiter looked at it like you, Jimich, which is the Italian word for eggplant. You dummy. It expired the day before. 
The bill was $135. I could rent a car for that much. This word means they fail not. It means it's never out of date. You never come to God and He says, too late, gavel's down, next. He never says that because His compassions are there. The word compassion in the Hebrew, and I'm not a smart aleck, but I did my homework on this, never saw it before in 53 years. The word compassion here is the connection of the fetus or the young baby connected to the umbilical cord. It's the thread of the first conception of life. It's the feeling that God has for us all the way down to the microscopic organisms and the mysterious implantation of life by way of the creation of a human being. That's how deeply he loves you. He feels it. Of course, it's an anthropomorphism, which is a phrase for a physical attribute of human life compared to what God is. Who knows? All or even the beginning of God is greatness and his eternality. But he says, you look at that before sonogram, before Caesarean section, before the early pictures, if you were ever able to see it like I see it, that's how deep my love is. Don't you feel somewhat embarrassed and chagrined tonight that you have left God out of it thinking that he's out of the game? Uh, it's a poor choice of words. That he's out of the interaction with you, that you're not in his sight anymore. You can Google you and God doesn't, it doesn't come up. You're not there. That's never true. Mercy is God preventing from happening to you what could have happened if he wasn't there. How many tonight can say, I remember something, it should have happened to me and it didn't. Boy, I lucked out on that one. It never happened. How many of you had that experience? You can remember something, it could have been worse. Lift your hand. Everybody, lift your hand. Even when you tried to get a soda and your buck didn't work or something. <laughs> Think of it. You come around the corner, wow, there's a car. Close calls, we call them. It could have been worse. You bet it could have been worse. But God somehow prevented it. He interjected and intervened. He came to your side. He sent His holy angels who are in this room right now. If you're a believer, your angel, your counterpart is right here. And the demons are here too. They hate what we're saying about the love of God. It's greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. That God loves you with an everlasting love. If you go to hell, God loves you. He will never stop loving. He can't. He can never stop being holy and calling you account for the things that you've done knowingly or accidentally or purposely, when you withstood Him, when He called you. And maybe tonight there are people in here and God has called you many, many times and you've heard Skip almost bleed from his throat and his heart got heavy to call you to Christ, to just come forward. What is the big deal about that? Get up and come and stand here and say, Oh God, 
I'm out of it. I feel hedged in. My prayers don't work. You've got to have me in your crosshairs. You've been punishing me. What did I do? I know what I did. I ignored you, but you're too heavy. You're too angry, oh God. Why are you so ruthless? No, he's not ruthless. He's just withdrawn his mercy until you wake up and die right. And you'd be in hell if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And it's because of his grace and love you're here tonight. Nothing happens by accident. Every one of us is known by the lip print, by the hairs on our head, all illustrations in the Bible, better than every sparrow or any little ant. He knows you. When your bones were formed on the 24th day, He knew you in your mother's womb. Whether you were planned for or not, He knows you. Don't blame anybody else. Don't blame. Just come to God and say, Lord, your mercy is everlasting. Your mercy endures forever. These are biblical passage. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven because of the multitude of his mercies. Jesus died. You don't have to say, Lord, have mercy. God has already shown his mercy in Jesus. And if you don't take Jesus, there ain't no mercy left. My father was a lawyer. Now, as a boy, he would tell me stories. And he said one time, he died a couple of years ago at 99. Read the Bible 62 times and founded the American Bible Society. He was a, a lawyer. He said there was a case before him. And he said, the man pleaded, pleaded. All I want is mercy for my client. All I want is mercy. And the client had shot a policeman. We used to call them cops in those. The Philadelphia cop. You didn't kill a cop. You didn't kill a priest. You never touched a woman, let alone a minister of any kind. Times have changed. And my father said, the judge said, what you want is mercy. But this court doesn't dispense mercy. It only dispenses justice. Guilty as charged. Court be adjourned. There's no mercy anywhere else. There's no mercy in Islam. No forgiveness in the Quran. None. Only in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. It's not a bragging point. It's a humbling experience to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way. And His name is mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know that. The last part is, His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what His goodness and His mercy is? They are other names for Jesus. Jesus, why call you me good, since only God is good? The word good has just an extra O. The word good came as an extension of the word God. Jesus is mercy. That's his name. Tonight, 
where are you? Do you mind? I have no right to do that. I'm not the pastor here. I'm just a stringer of a long friend list of skip. But do you feel kind of uh and out of it? You don't feel forgiveness. You don't want prayer. You don't do any other options. You feel God is really mad at you. The Bible does say God is angry with the wicked every day. But the Bible says the Lord is tender and compassionate, full of mercy, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's you tonight. That you, way back there, you may have come in later, over here, beyond the glass. Great is God's faithfulness. The Hebrew word is mega, beyond description. If you want to experience the compassion and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of God, after I pray, the band's going to start playing. And If Skip is still here, maybe he'll stand and give us a closing prayer. If not, I will extend the invitation and ask you to get up from right where you are. You're familiar with that type of appeal. And come and stand here in the front. No one will judge you. In fact, in this church, they clap. I wish they did that in my church. My church, they just sit there. I'm not the pastor there anymore. But when I retired in 95, some people were clapping and saying amen, and the the 18 elders and the 36 deacons didn't like that. It's too bad. If heaven rejoices, we can put our two hands together. And if someone comes, someone comes, you come. I humbly ask you now, and if you're next to somebody that wiggles a little bit and they want to get out, will you come and walk with them? The night I got saved, I was right down on the aisle. A big guy in a football jacket said, hey, boy, if you go forward, that's what they call you in the South, hey, boy. If you go forward, I'll go with you. I never have seen him, but I'll see him in heaven. I went down because he just took my arm. Let's stand, shall we? Heavenly Father, as the music begins, breathe, Holy Spirit, a happy and a holy spray of love and grace. And if you are pleased, and if the hearts are those that you will not give up on, are standing there, draw them close. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come now. I'll be right here with you. Those of you who have come forward, I'm so glad you did. I want to pray with you now. And what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to pray. And I'd like you to pray after me. In other words, repeat what I say. But but in a sense, tune every one of us out. And let this be from your heart to, to the Lord personally. This is you surrendering to Him. And you do it by asking Him to come into your life. So let's pray. Pray with me. Pray after I do. Lord, I give You my life. I admit I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. I believe Jesus died on the cross. And that He rose from the dead. And that He did it for me personally. I turn from my sin. I turn to You as my Savior and my Master. Take my life. 
I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.